0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. So I want to ask you to go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, and we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3 this morning and look at the first seven verses. Already in the book of Genesis we have seen a lot of first. We have seen, uh, first of all, and first and foremost, that, that there is God, that God exists, and God exists eternally. Uh, God wasn't created. He has always existed. And we made the statement that the main message of Genesis chapter 1, while it does give the account of creation, the most important thing in Genesis chapter 1 was in the beginning was what? God. God. And that all that we know in the created order, all that we know of life uh, generates from God, that God created that and he made it out of nothing. You and I did not crawl up from some uh, deep, dark, sludgy water and just by time and circumstance come into existence, but we saw that God is creator of all things. We answered that, that age-old question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? what came first? The chicken. God created it in that way. And so then we see the the highlight, if you will, of God's creation where he created uh, Adam and Eve. He created man and woman and he created them for a purpose. He created them in his image. And God, a good God had placed them there in the garden of Eden. And God had said to them, uh, you 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 may eat of of all the fruit and all of the trees that are here in the garden, uh, but Moses explains to us that in the garden there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life, and they were permitted to eat from the tree of life, but of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God had said, "You shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die." And not only would that entail physical death, but it would also entail spiritual death, separation from God. Remember, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, meaning that they were created right, uh, righteous. And really, it was untested innocence, if you will, that God had placed that tree in the garden and said, You shall not eat of this fruit. And concluding where we were last week in Genesis chapter 2 and verse uh, 25, we read this. After God had created them, he said, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That was about to drastically change. That, that condition that they were in and in that statement there in verse 25 that, that they were naked and they were not ashamed was going to change at the events that take place next. So read with me beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Notice the contrast between verse 25 and here in verse 7. Uh, verse 7 again, after they had disobeyed God. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. The condition had changed. In verse 25 of chapter 2, they were, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. But now all of a sudden, after they had disobeyed God, they recognized that they were naked, and they had shame in God's presence, and they had shame in the presence of one another. And so things drastically changed, and then, the closing of that verse... And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that, Lord, this morning as we uh, look at this account and we see the originator of sin. God, we see the one who uh, originated this this idea or this, this thing of sin of God choosing wrong instead of right. God, that we would make application into our lives and recognize and realize that our adversary is still very much at large. And God, he is still very active. And God, that, uh, Lord, we we would see, Lord, his tactics, his schemes. And God, that you would make us all the more wise of them. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding. God, I pray the presence of the Holy Spirit right now in our midst. God, apart from the Holy Spirit, Lord, your word uh, is black ink on white paper. God, it's still your word, but God, it's the Holy Spirit that uses the word of God that speaks to our heart through it. And God, I would pray that if any of those are here this morning present or those that may be watching online through different media platforms, God, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would draw them, God, that they may come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we magnify you, in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have the scene set there in the garden, and Adam and Eve there, and verse 1 says immediately that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And of course we know, we understand the story, we, most of us have heard the story, the, the serpent Uh, had been embodied or had been taken over by satan himself and the bible tells us here that he was more crafty than any other uh, being that had been created and had been made and uh, that Satan had overtaken him. We, we call Satan our foe. We call him our adversary. Uh, Jesus said that even to those who have not trusted the Father, who have not known him, are children of Satan. So the Bible clearly teaches that you and I are children of one or the other, either children of the Father, or we are children of Satan himself. And so here he comes to them And it describes him as a serpent. Now, we don't know exactly what this serpent may have looked like. Uh, We do believe that the curse that we'll see later, the consequence of that sin had been that, that no longer would this serpent be able to stand upright, but it would slither on its belly. And you and I get afraid every time we see one of these in our yard, right? but we don 't know exactly what it was. The Bible is really not that descript on that. All we know is that is that the enemy had had embodied this serpent. The enemy had embodied this one, and he stands upright. And he evidently had means of communication, that is Satan was, because he had communicated to Adam and Eve. He had knowledge of what God had told Adam and Eve there in the garden. And he had uh, twisted the words of God that had been given to Adam and Eve. And he, uh, he, it's not unlike that he would do that because the Bible tells us that Satan, the devil, he masquerades himself as an angel of light. He's not that little red character that we have seen depicted with little horns and a little tail. Uh, He's not the one that some will make themselves up to be or make themselves out to be come uh, the end of the month when that uh, Hallow's Eve is celebrated. But he is a real entity, and he is far more crafty and dangerous than we can ever imagine. So when we make light of him as just some little cartoon figure or character, we can be so deceived by that. And we have to recognize that that the enemy, our foe, the adversary, is is about to do everything he can do in your life and in my life and in the life of the body of Christ and the and the work of nations to deceive those to be crafty so that he might lead others to follow after his masquerade and his plan. Now, prior to the garden or the the time that existed before creation, there's very little that the Bible gives us as far as indication of who Satan was, where he came from, and, and what we know about him really is only recorded in two instances, two prophets, the prophet of Isaiah and the prophet of Ezekiel. Prior to the fall or what happened in the heavens, these are the only instances that we understand and know where he came from. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to look at one of the accounts that the prophet uh, displays and exhibits of of where he was and who he was and how he existed. And beginning chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, we read this. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high and I will set the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the earth, of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. Now, what we know from this is that is that Satan, we'll find out in Ezekiel, was a created being. He was an angel. He was a cherubim, uh, one of the highest ranking. And some speculate that he was over worshiping the throne. And I think, my goodness, isn't it kind of ironic that all of these centuries later, we're still arguing about worship. And who would not be behind that but him himself? He wants to disrupt that so that God does not get glory when the people of God praise him and worship him. So we see here that he rebelled against God. He had in his heart a motive that he wanted to dethrone God. The Bible tells us that that he was beautiful to look at, that he was a cherubim, that he was one of the most glorious angels of all created being, but there was something in his heart and his mind that he decided that Rather than God getting all the glory and praise, he had decided that he wanted it for himself. Now turn over in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28 beginning in verse 11, and I'll read there for you as you follow along when you get that. Ezekiel chapter 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation of the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Here he's describing uh, the devil. He's describing Satan here. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed garden cher- guardian cherubim. I placed you and you were on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked, and you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you are filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned as I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherubim, from the midst of the stones of fire. Then verse 17 is this. He says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground, and I expose you before all kings to feast their eyes on you. The bottom line, what we find recorded in scripture that That Satan was full of pride. He had taken the position that God had placed him in and he desired that the praise that God was receiving from all of the angelic hosts, that he would take that for himself. And I want you to underline that that at the bottom, at the very base of his motivation was that of pride. He desired to elevate himself above God and above all others and usurp the rule and the reign of God. And I find it interesting that us, as having now a sin nature, having sinned against God, if you look at the root of every sin, it seems to be that the root of every sin is that thing called pride. You see. It's in our nature. It's in human beings' nature not to be ruled over by God, but to elevate themselves, and as we saw last week, to say, nobody is going to tell me what to do. You see, we all have a little rebel in us. Can somebody say amen to that? And the Bible teaches very clear that, that from that time of birth, that from the sin of Adam, we have all been born with a sin nature And even in that cute, pretty little infant that's laying there in the hospital, they are infected with that sin nature. If you don't believe that, then you have never had children. I can remember looking at my firstborn through the hospital glass. Sarah, so precious to me. And looking at her, and she seemed to be in all state of innocence. And then all of a sudden, while she's there in the nursery, just lying very still, cuddled up, came this loud, "Ah!" And the Lord quickened in my spirit. She's precious, but she's born with a sin nature. And she has a need to be delivered of that sin nature so that she might have life eternal. Every now and then she still does that, huh, Brian? <laughs> Amen to that. You see, the fact is, every one of us in this room have been born in that condition with a sin nature. You and I are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. You see, there's a message that's out there that we're all created good. And that it's environment and other things that cause one to become sinners or cause one to do evil. That's just not true. Because you can take an individual in the most perfect environment... With all of the blessings of life and all the prosperity of life and all the goodness that could ever be offered to that individual. And they have the capacity just as any other human being to be evil and to do evil things or unrighteous things. On the other hand, you can take an individual who grows up in an environment where it seems as though all the odds are stacked against them. And they grow up in an environment where there's all kinds of vice and all kinds of malice. And then there's an event that takes place in their life. And they go on to do incredibly godly, righteous things. You see, condition may have some bearing, but we have all been born in that state of evil. The Bible also describes Satan in these various terms. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 says that he is a dragon. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And some of you right now, he is accusing. Now see, there's a difference between accusation and conviction, Right? Conviction is that gift that God has given us where the Holy Spirit bears on our conscience when we have fallen short of what His, His desire, we've fallen short of His will, we've fallen short of His command, and God gives us the gift of conviction by the Holy Spirit. Everybody right now say, thank God for conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's out of his love that he convicts us. On the other hand, Satan, our adversary, he wants to accuse the brethren. And we know that if we've sinned, we confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you've confessed that you've acknowledged it. You've repented from it. But now all of a sudden the adversary comes about and he begins to accuse you of that. He is the accuser of the brethren. And our response needs to be that has been covered by the blood and it's acknowledged and it is separated as far from me as the East is from the West. How many Many of you are thankful that God has separated you from those things that you did, things that you thought that the enemy had full ground to accuse you of. Can you just say thank you for that, Lord? In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, he tells us that, Peter tells us that he is our adversary. He is against us and he's against all that is God and that is righteousness. In Second Corinthians chapter uh, chapter four, verse four, it tells us that that he is our tempter. Do you recognize and realize that the enemy, while he's not all knowing, he he has his his minions that are out there. There were at least a third of the angels that fell with him, and we don't know how many there were, but they're they're all over the place. And do you think that they don't recognize and know what areas you and I have in our lives of propensity towards sin? You see, every one of us in this room has a certain propensity towards sin. And most often, it's those sins that we may have participated in before we came to know Christ. But the enemy knows exactly, exactly, exactly how to tempt you and I. And he desires that that we might fall to that. He knows that he has already lost us if we have placed our trust in Christ, that we are secure in Christ for all of eternity, and no one can pluck us out of the hand of the Father but he knows that he can get us out of the game if he causes us to follow after one of those. And so he loves to tempt you and I. Now I like to say oftentimes, I, I don't need the, the devil or the inim- or his minions to tempt me. I can surely do enough of that on, of my own. Can you say amen to that? But he is the tempter. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 calls him the devil or Beelzebul. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6 calls him the evil one. First John chapter 5 verse 19 calls him the ruler of this world. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. And we have to recognize that he is crafty, he is old, and he knows far more than you and I do. But I've discovered and realized that his tactics throughout all millennium have not really changed very much. the same things that he tempted adam and eve with in the garden he also tempted jesus with in the desert and he also tempts us with every single day of our life. Now one thing we have to recognize and realize that, that Satan, the devil, he is not all-knowing. He does not know all things. God is all-knowing but the enemy does not know all, he is not all-knowing. He is not all-present and he can't be present at every time, in every place, in every instance as God does. But of course we've said he has his crew, if you will that, that goes out and goes out at his bidding to do his work but he is not all-present and he is not all powerful can you say thank you lord for that i'm not sure if you've ever read and i'll give a little plug for a book Uh, c.s lewis wrote a book called um i want to name the character wormwood Screw screw tape letters it's an allegorical writing of the work and the tactics of enemy of the enemy. But I would encourage you to read that, although it is allegorical, it's very biblically based, and we might have an understanding of, our, of the way our adversary works. He's not all-knowing, he's not all-present, he's not all-powerful, but we cannot take him lightly. The Bible exhorts us a number of times that we are to be on guard, we are to be watchful. For our enemy seeks, looking for whom he may devour. And so we understand that we have victory over the enemy by the blood of Christ. We have been saved and we're eternally secure in the kingdom of God. But in this life, we cannot take for granted and we cannot take lightly the tactics of the enemy. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 that he is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now notice here what John says that, that you're not greater than the one who is in the world. But he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And he who is in you is the Holy Spirit of God who empowers us and enables us to live obedient lives in conformity to the likeness of Christ that we all may obey Him and walk in Him. And let me underline it. You and I cannot do it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We can't will it to happen we can't discipline it to happen. We may train ourselves through different methods and methodology, but at the end of the day, you and I are, are, are powerless against the tactics and the devices of the enemy. Only Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ can destroy his works in your life and in my life. Now, notice the strategy that Satan uses here. With Adam and Eve. And we're going to see that it's very similar and the same strategy, if you will, that he uses in your life and in my life and in those who have not come to know Christ yet. His strategy is this to deceive by temptation, deception, and questioning God's word. What is it that God told Adam and Eve? If if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, in that day you shall what? surely die and we notice here in chapter three as he's speaking to Eve he says you will not die he questions the authority he questions the goodness of the word of God and he uses the same tactic in your life and in my life well surely I can do this Surely I can not do that. God really didn't mean that. And and God, how could you be good if you place this restriction in my life? I mean, by the way, God, don't you want me to feel good? And God, when I do that, if I do that, then I know I'm going to feel good. And what the enemy causes us to do is to question the goodness of God. That God's intent and God has placed parameters for our good, that that we might be blessed, that we might know him, that we might walk with him. And the enemy says, hey, hey, wait a minute. Everybody else is participating in that. Everybody else is doing that. You, you're just, you're, God is really not wanting what's best for you, but God is wanting to str- restrict you. Surely you will not die. It uses the same tactic in our lives of causing us to question the Word of God you and I have to settle once for all whether or not this is the Word of God or not whether or not all of it is the Word of God or not because if only part of it is the Word of God, then, then that leaves you and I to judge what is the God, what is God's Word and what is not God's Word. We begin to cherry pick what we think. Okay, that sounds good to me. That sounds reasonable to me. So that that must be God's Word. Or that doesn't sound good to me. So that that can't be God's Word. Listen, it's all His Word or none of it is His Word. And the next thing you and I have to settle is, did God give us His Word for His glory and our good? Did He give us His commands? Did He express who He was to us? Did He express that He desires for us to be in relationship with Him and walk in fellowship with Him for His glory? In our good, and once that's settled in our mind, it answers a lot of questions for us. Jesus, in that great priestly prayer in John chapter 17, prays this for you and I, for all believers. He says, Father, would you sanctify them in the truth? Your word is truth. Amen. I don't care how many others are saying what's contrary. God's Word is truth. One of the downsides to living in a democracy, and don't hear me wrong in this, is sometimes the majority is not always right. One of the downsides to church polity is that oftentimes the majority is not always right. The only thing that we know right and that is true is the Word of God. And it's that that we must believe and hold on to, every bit of it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, exhorts us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, proudly roars around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I was looking at this passage this week and really contemplating, why did Eve and Adam... Choose to even respond to the enemy and his temptation. I mean, God had already spoken, God had already said, and, and God had, had given them everything that they would have ever desired and needed. Why did they respond? The answer to this, I think, is because of what sin promises. You see, sin promises, but it never delivers what it promises. It may deliver for a moment what it promises, but it will never deliver fully what it promises. And can I be honest with you? Before I came to know Christ, I'm not going to go into horrid details. The men have heard enough of that on Wednesday nights. But sin can be fun for a season. Sin can be enjoyable for a season, but it never pays the dividends that it offers. I can't tell you the countless number of people that I have met with who have fallen into sin, whatever it might be in their life, that if they could, they would take back that one brief moment where they chose rather than to obey god and trust that god was good and they said you know i think god's trying to withhold from me something that will make me feel good and only later to get trapped in that and the consequences of fallout not only in their life but in their family's life and the whole destructive nature that takes place when we fall to that just write it down sin will never ever ever pay what it promises notice the appeals that were here to Eve and to Adam he 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 appeals to us to to disobey God in the in these three ways to the flesh that which might gratify some desire that we have he he appeals to the eyes because the temptations that he lay out he lays out there seem very very beautiful especially maybe in comparison to what we have now, right? Oh, that looks so good. And the third area appeals to the boastful pride of life. John says this in 1 John. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father but is from the world. The enemy uses the same tactics with you and I that he used with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, the result of this temptation was that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They, they chose to take the bait that the enemy had laid there for them. They had believed a, a lie rather than the truth. And the result and the consequence of that was that thing that we call sin, that the Bible calls sin. A lot of folks don't like to talk about sin today. But the reality is there's not a single one of us, there's not a single human being that is innocent, that does not have sin. We've been born in sin, and we are all sinners, and we're all in need of a Savior to save us from the penalty and the judgment of that sin. The one thing that we all have in common in this room is that. The one thing that every human being that's ever existed has in common is that. A couple of weeks ago I said that one of the questions your children might ask you is who may God? And some of you may still have that question, well who may God? The other question that we often hear and some of us have in our own minds today is why did God create sin? And the simple answer to that is that God did not create sin. Sin is not a created thing. Sin is a perversion of what is good. God had created Adam and Eve, and not only did he say it was good, but he said it was what? Very good. And he gave them a choice, and the choice was, do I obey God Or do I obey my desires that are brought to me, those things that might appeal to my flesh, those things that might look beautiful and question and doubt the goodness of God. Sin is where we doubt and question the goodness of God and ignore His commands and His precepts as being righteous and the right way, if you will. And we choose to gratify that which is not of God. The best example that I think I can use to state with this, that as sin is not a creative thing, but, but it is a corruption of that which is good, is that, that you and I generally would, would state that we are in good health, unless we know that there's something there that causes us not to be in good health. And I may say today that I am in good health, but I have no idea what's working in the cells of my body, right? The day that you were diagnosed, Bob, may have been, you're in good health, but you had no idea the cells that were going crazy in your body at the time. And so sin is that which takes that which is good. And corrupts it and causes it to be bad. It it is falling short. It is missing the mark of what God's righteousness is. And as a result of Adam and Eve choosing to disobey God, choosing to trust His will as good, they rebelled against Him. And now we have this thing called sin think for a minute, as we spoke of last week, the freedoms that Adam and Eve had. God had placed them there in the garden. And he said, hey, you can eat from any fruit of the garden. Only do not eat from this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. What did Satan challenge? Again, the goodness of God. I want us to understand and know that that God is good. God is good, and somebody said, all the time. God, in him there is no evil, and he cannot tempt by evil. God is good. And anytime the enemy causes you and I to question the goodness of God, we need to be aware because there is always something on the back end that's going to bring destruction. In a word of exhortation, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the writer writes to them, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.